At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Wonderful. Well, it's great to be with you today. I do want you to take your Bible or your electronic device and go to 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 41 through 46. Now, as you do that, I have to say, I love this. I've never, I've, I've experienced something here that I have never, ever, ever experienced in all the places I've preached and all the privileges I've had. I've never experienced this. This is new and I'm very encouraged by this. On this pulpit is a note for the person who's preaching. I don't know if you knew this. There's a note here that is very important, very encouraging, and, and very wise, especially in the event of a fire. <laughs> it is the fire alarm event response script. So I just want you to know, if there is a fire here this morning, I know what to tell you. I know what to tell you. So I, I bet Rob came up with that. That is brilliant. So I'll have to pass that on to Pastor Chris as a suggestion, but of course he gives his greetings to you, and uh, it is a joy to be here with you this morning. It really is a joy to get to come to the different campuses and to have the privilege of preaching God's Word to God's people, and also to preach God's Word to people who aren't God's people in the hope that they will become God's people, right? Right? And so it's a joy also to see the, the vision of Woodside being played out in these different communities, and that's a lot of fun. Well, um, as Kevin was mentioning, uh, I do have a family, and they love hearing me preach so much that they are all somewhere else today. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, one of these days, hopefully, I get to come back and they will be here, be here with me. But I'm privileged to have two daughters and a son. Uh, the oldest is going to be a senior this year. Uh, the youngest is getting his uh, prideful feet wet with middle school. That will start in just a few weeks. So it's a, it's a joy. My wife and I have been married for 20 years, and um, it's good. I originally come from Ohio. Oh, there we go. Thank you. There's always one, and there might be a sermon illustration there about God's promises. We'll see, all right? But um, yeah, originally from Dayton, Ohio, uh, long story short, served in ministry in Cleveland for 12 years uh, before uh, God called us to Woodside. And it's at Woodside where I serve, as Kevin was saying, pastor of care and Christian education. And then there are care ministries, of course. We've got, we've got widows, grief share, celebrate recovery, divorce care and reconciliation. Uh, we also have... Um, special needs ministry. So just thank you to those who help with uh, special needs and our Shine On uh, annual prom, which is awesome. And uh, then we also pastoral counseling. Then uh, the Christian education side of things, I oversee the classes that happen at Troy, and that's a privilege to help encourage people in their faith along those lines. 
Well, if you would, I would like for you to stand as I read the text. It's something I always enjoy doing, and there is a blessing from reading the Word of God. And before, as we go through the sermon, you think, well, we already read that. I am going to repeat the text again and again, because as my ninth grade German teacher would be so proud to know, repetition does help one remember, although he said it in German, which tells you how I did. All right. We are in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now. Look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times. And the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up. Say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Father, to you be the glory. May we be blessed by the reading of your word. May we be blessed by studying your word. And Father, we pray that the saints will be edified, and those who are not Christians, we pray that you will draw them to yourself today through the power of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we journey through the text today, we've got a few uh, smaller passage than we had last week. If you were here last week with us, it was a large portion of Scripture, a powerful portion of Scripture, though. And this is following Elijah mocking the prophets of Baal calling fire down to consume the saturated sacrifice, and then doing according to what God had commanded in Deuteronomy, killing and slaughtering the false prophets. That's a pretty intense bedtime story for your kids as you're reading the Bible to them. But it's really, really important. Because as we've been learning in this series, Elijah, according to James, is a man just like us. And there we saw on Mount Carmel a great demonstration of faith by a man just like us. Well, today we get kind of the next scene in the real life history story of Elijah calling down fire and God responding to demonstrate that he is the one true living God and not the false god Baal. As we go through this text today, just to orient us, the big idea today is that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We're going to learn how we can pray in powerful and effective ways, and we're going to primarily focus on three things. One is praying in alignment with God's word. The second is that we must persist in pursuing God's promises. And then third we must plan to respond to God's grace. As we go through this passage today, we're going to see these things present, and hopefully our hearts 
our minds and our souls will be changed for the glory of God. Well, as we think about prayer in, in this passage, it just seems almost subtle what Elijah is doing in praying. But we can also go back to last week's passage where he called upon the people to saturate the sacrifices. And then he called upon God in verse 36. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That these people may know you, O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. That was the prayer of Elijah in last week's passage. And this week we come to a prayer where he's relying not only upon God and the God who promised to show himself true and faithful, but once again Elijah is calling on the God who made promises and is faithful. Prayer is one of those things that's, I think, really kind of interesting. I remember at my last church, after a few years, we had done all the easy things. We had rewritten the Constitution. We had gone through a building remodeling program. We had raised a lot of funds. We had kind of uh, settled in, so to say, and we had worked on changing the name of the church so that we can remove an unnecessary barrier. Things like that, that sometimes seem monumental. But at the end of that process, I found myself basically saying, oh my goodness, Now's the hard work. Now's the spiritual work. We've done the things that make sense and seem wise, but now we have the hard work of of helping people's souls be transformed. And that's one of the key moments I know in my life where God showed me I need to become more dependent on prayer and learn more about his faithfulness and to show and to lead people towards being a faithful people based on God's faithful promises. And this is what we're seeing with Elijah. Once again, a man just like you and just like me. There's nothing super spiritual about Elijah. There's nothing, you know, he's not this super prophet. I mean, sure, he did great and amazing things, which we would stand here and we're in awe at. But scripture says he was just like you and me. Did you ever wonder what his day job was? It was on the weekends where he went and he called fire down and slaughtered false prophets. But Elijah was a man just like you and me. This is where we get the idea that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And if Elijah was a man just like you and me, we also can come to understand that Elijah didn't have some super secret to effective and powerful prayer. He had the same things that you and I have access to. All those years ago, the things that he had are still what we have today. The things that God gave him are the things that God has given us. And yet we sit here and we're still confused in this. And I admit, I'm in this group as well. Sometimes we sit there and we say, well, I just just don't know how to pray. I just don't believe that you have to pray corporately. I I just don't know that I have to pray every day. And of course, the the famous one that I've even felt many, many times, I just seem like I'm praying the same thing, the same way, and hoping for the same response. It just doesn't seem that way, that that it should be that way. 
Why aren't I seeing things like fire come down on the false prophets? Why aren't I seeing things like a widow's jar miraculously never being emptied of its oil? Why aren't I seeing amazing things like sons being raised from the dead after being sick? Why aren't I? Why aren't I? Why aren't I? And they're legitimate questions, but I hope today's message will help us move forward answering some of those questions. Well, the first thing that we must do is we must pray in alignment with God's word. Look at verses 41 and 42 with me again. And Elijah said to Ahab, now keep in mind, remember who Ahab is. Ahab is the evil king of Israel, which the Bible says just a few chapters earlier, that there was no king who had done more evil in the side of the Lord than Ahab. And, and to make matters worse, he marries a foreign woman, and not just marrying a foreign woman violating the law of God, but also marrying a foreign woman who was antagonistic towards God, who instructed false prophets to rise up, who instructed the worship of false gods, primarily being Baal. So it wasn't that he just married outside the nation of Israel. He married a straight-up evil woman who was antagonistic towards the one true God of Israel. This is who Ahab was. Now, of course, Ahab had just seen the jaw-dropping, amazing, awe-inspiring, and from his point of view, the oh-my-goodness-to-keep-it-clean moment of hundreds of false prophets being slaughtered. He had seen Elijah mocking their God. Perhaps he's asleep. Perhaps you need to wake up and you need to scream louder to him because he can't hear you. And oh, by the way, just go ahead and saturate my sacrifice to the one true living God with water. And fill up a little moat around it just to make sure everything is nice and wet. So that I can show you who the one true living God is. Ahab was right there in the middle of this miracle that God had performed to show that he indeed was the one true living God. And so here is Ahab. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink for this is the sound of rushing rain. Now to understand this fully, we have to go back to chapter 17 verse 1. Where we're told, now Elijah the Tishbite, the Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah, being the mouthpiece of God, had told Ahab there would be a severe drought in the land. A form of judgment on the false worship of these people. A judgment upon Ahab but also a demonstration of the greatness of the one true living God of Israel who could control the rain, who could make a saturated sacrifice be consumed in fire, and who could also give the prophet of God the power to go and slaughter false prophets. So Ahab was witness to all of this. And here's Elijah saying to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of rushing rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. 
Now, how are we to pray in alignment with God's word, and how do we get that from this text? Well, praying in alignment with God's word, here is Elijah, and he, he hears the rain. Now, I don't know exactly how that happened, but perhaps you can imagine driving along, perhaps 59 or 75, and in the distance, on the horizon, you begin to see the clouds look like they're being pulled down by fingers from the ground. I remember seeing that image with my dad when I was a little boy, and I said, Dad, what's going on with those clouds? And he said, that's where it's raining. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But Elijah, what he's doing is, as he's, as he's following this miraculous act of God with the false prophets, he hears the sound of rushing rain. And for Elijah, he begins to remember what happened in chapter 17, verse 1, where God had told him that there would neither be rain nor any dew upon the people to show them that he was the one true living God. This was the same God that Ahab had begun to mock by his actions, by his marriage. And the same God that Ahab had drawn people away from. So Elijah is praying this prayer, and he begins to realize, oh, wait a minute, the sound of rushing rain. I remember when God said there would be no rain or dew. God is going to show himself faithful to what he had said, that there shall neither be rain nor dew, except by my word. Not only had God fulfilled his word and kept his promise with the false prophets, but now he was keeping this promise, one that had come from God through Elijah to Ahab. And Ahab, I guarantee you, with his God senses so say, being awakened by what had just happened, is also remembering this as well. Now we also want to keep in mind who was this false God that Elijah had mocked just a few verses before us. He was no real God at all. But the people believed him to be the God of storms and the bringer of rain. And so knowing that, this becomes even more powerful that God had issued this warning to the people. And Elijah had given this prophecy. And now, here we are three years later... The false god had just been mocked like no other god had been mocked. And the prophets destroyed like something we really haven't seen elsewhere in scripture. And now Ahab's senses being heightened to the reality that he is opposing the one true living God. Now Elijah says, I hear rain coming on the horizon. It's as if the one true living God is doubling down to show Ahab, you are in the wrong and you need to change. Elijah begins hearing God fulfilling his promise. And he communicates this to Ahab. And then he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. The text is clearly telling us that Elijah is beginning to pray. And he's beginning to pray according to the promise that God had given. The curse, yes, in 17.1, but also a promise, except by my word. 
And now the accept by my word is becoming a reality. And Elijah hears the rain coming. He communicates this to Ahab. It now becomes a warning to Ahab or perhaps a call to repentance to Ahab, so to say. And Elijah, what does he do? He begins to pray. And he prays in alignment with God's word. As we begin to think about prayer, we have to understand that prayer isn't something like the power of positive thinking. Prayer isn't the spiritual genie that we hope someday we can just rub the, so to say, spiritual lamp and, and, hey God, I would love to have this. Hey God, I would love to have more money. Hey God, I would love to have better uh, things in life. Hey God, I would love to, and you just fill in the blank for what could be viewed sometimes as a selfish prayer if our hearts are not right. But no, Elijah sticks his prayer to, he keeps his prayer aligned with the promise of God. Except by my word. And Elijah begins to see God fulfilling that except by my word. And it's a reminder to him. It's a communication to Ahab. And it leads Elijah to pray. When we think about praying with God's promises, we see all around us, people are dependent upon our promises. With my children, when I tell them I'm going to pick them up from school. Hey dad, will you pick me up from school? Yes, I will pick you up from school. And they go outside of the school and they're waiting on the sidewalk as a matter of faith, but as a matter of faith based upon a promise that I had given them. I will pick you up from school. We think of other things, right? And perhaps this isn't a great example, and I'm not so faithful in this. If you do your work, you will get an allowance. They do work, not only because we expect it of them to be part of the family, but when they do work, they will get paid. Great lesson with this this summer with my son. He wanted some expensive things, and we said, well, your allowance isn't going to pay for that, so go out and get a job. And he started going out to the different neighbors. And while they wouldn't necessarily let him mow their lawn, they did offer him some odd jobs. And he went and he did the work. And part of the reason he did the work was based on the promise that he would be paid for. Right? So we see this happening all the time. You're going to go into work perhaps tomorrow. And you're going to do so with the expectation or the promise that you will get paid. Well, we think of God and we think of praying God's promises, and these are so much more important. These are eternally significant for our souls. And so we learn, just like Elijah did, to pray according to God's promises. As we think of this, some practical ways to do this. As I said, you might wonder why your prayers are stagnant or why you feel like your prayers aren't powerful. Sometimes it's just a matter of discipline. I know, easier said than done, right? But have you considered setting aside a time in your life of of regular prayer? It's great to have a discipline to pray before meals. It's great to have a discipline to pray before the kids go off to school. It's great to have a discipline to pray before you go to bed at night. It's great to have these different disciplines. But do you set aside a regular time of prayer? Another suggestion that is often popular is praying the Psalms. You just begin to read the Psalms and you pray the Psalms. We can just look at a quick example here. I just randomly turned to Psalm 114. 
When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of the strained language, Judah became his sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. The seas looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Who ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. How in the world do you pray that? You begin with verse 1. Dear God, thank you for bringing Israel out of Egypt. Thank you for creating the house of Jacob, a people who communicated the truth of the one true living God. And you can just go verse by verse in that. And then you apply it to your own life. Dear God, thank you for calling me out of bondage and slavery to sin. Dear God, thank you for making me part of your chosen people. Thank you for the grace that comes with that. And you just go verse by verse through the psalm and you pray according to the word of God being led by the spirit of God to help your prayers to God. A third example is being familiar with and of course memorizing the Lord's prayer but not just for the matters of being rote but for the matters of aligning your heart with God's heart in prayer. Of course Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6 Beginning in verse 9, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can stop right there, and if you've done any sort of study of this, which I encourage you to do if you haven't, or to redo this if you haven't done it recently, you pray to the Father in heaven. You give glory to the name of the one true living God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And that is so key right there that we pray according to the will of God. I've learned in the time that I've had, and I'm no expert in this, but, but I, one of the things that I think the Spirit has taught me through praying according to Scripture, through praying according to what Scripture lays out for us, and praying according to the Lord's Prayer, that prayer often is not meant to be a Ask, even though we are told, ask and you shall receive. But it is often meant to be a prayer to align with the will of God. And through that, the Spirit will direct you in what you should do. This is what Elijah did. He relied on the word of God. No rain or dew shall come except by my word. He began to see God working according to the promise of God. And he began to pray in alignment with The will of God. And this takes us to our second point. We must persist in pursuing God's promises. Beginning in verse 43, the Bible says, And he said to his servant, this is Elijah, speaking to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. In scripture, we see that there are examples of this faithfulness of pursuing God's promises. In Acts, or sorry, in Genesis chapter 33, verse 3, we see Jacob going towards Esau. 
worried that his brother is still angry that he stole his birthright. And seven times, we're told, he prayed before the meeting with Esau. And God was faithful, and the brothers were reconciled. We could also look at a passage like Joshua 6.4. And if you remember what happened in Joshua, there was the walls of Jericho. And how many times did they march around? Seven times they marched around. I'm not going to sit here and go into numerology and say, you know, all these weird things about the number seven. But we do see the number seven playing an important role in Scripture. And I don't know why it was seven times he went up. I don't know why Jacob prayed seven times. I don't know why God decided in seven days to to create all things and to rest. I don't know why he chose seven, but he did. And here it is again. And one of the things we do learn from this is that there is persistence in pursuing the promise of God. Persistence in pursuing the promise of God. One theologian from the 16th century said this, When Elijah's servant brought him word that no cloud appeared, he persevered in prayer, even when the servant returned a second, third, even a seventh time before any cloud could be seen. And Elijah did all this, although he knew for certain that God would send rain. I love that comment there. Elijah didn't continue to send him because he was hoping there would be rain. He continued to send his servant because he knew there would be rain. It was just a matter of time. After all, Elijah had heard the rain from God. The pastor goes on to say, Elijah did this because he knew that it was God's will that he should earnestly seek him. So the rain fell not by natural means, but by God's power, so that he would be manifested as the only true God. We are to persevere in prayer until we prevail, even though we may see no signs of accomplishment at the moment. Charles Spurgeon, the great British pastor of the 1800s, when preaching on Genesis 32.9, he had this to say. Please stand with me in this extended illustration. And he, he was using the illustration of the time of a, of a locksmith. You can, you can understand this. These weren't digital keys that they had. These were actual metal keys that the locksmith had. And if the locksmith was the one who put the lock on, he was also the one who kept a master key or master keys so that in the event you would lose your keys. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> right? We even see this today. Oh, I saw some elbows here. Now, come on now. <laughs> we even understand this. But, but here's, the, here's the illustration that Spurgeon shared. He said, when you lose your keys, the locksmith comes. And he doesn't just bring one key, right? Because if it's the wrong key, what he would have to do is to go back and come and go back again. He brings several keys. And eventually, after the locksmith has tried several keys, he comes to the place where he finds just the right key. And he's able to unlock the door. And Spurgeon goes on to say, so it is with God. God has all these promises. And as you pursue the word of God and you pursue the will of God, there will, find, there will be in Scripture one of those promises that seems by the power of the Holy Spirit to stick with you. And as you persist in prayer, that right promise will fit that right moment at God's right time so that you can see how right God is. And so we begin to think of this. 
But what we must do is we must be people of the word in order to understand the promises of the word that come from God. Think about this. These are some of the more popular promises. And I want to ask you, do you pray these and do you believe them? Do you live them out? Do you really, really, really believe them like Elijah believed rain would come? Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will uphold you by my righteous hand. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of your own life that God will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you believe that when you're there at the oncologist appointment? Do you believe that when you're sitting down with a doctor who has no more medical expertise? Do you believe that when you're calling and calling and calling and hoping that your child will return the call so you know simply they are alive? Do you believe that when your marriage is hurting and you make a call to one of the pastors for help? What about Psalm 32.8? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Are you relying upon yourself and your own finite wisdom? Or are you relying upon God in the way that you should go? What about Acts 16.31? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. There's some of the more popular promises of God, and I just ask you, do you believe them like Elijah believed rain would come? You see, praying these prayers and having the faith like this is hard. It is hard. But we're called to be persistent. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we have the parable of the persistent widow. I encourage you to look it up later, perhaps tonight in a family devotion or before you go to bed. And Jesus even tells us this parable. Sometimes we read these parables, like, what does this mean? Well, Jesus helps us right off the bat. He says this parable was provided to give, to give people the knowledge that to the effect that they pray, they should not lose heart. So Jesus is teaching his followers that. He's like, look, continue to pray. Don't lose heart as you pray and pray and pray and pray and pray some more. And he tells them this parable specifically according to Luke 18.1 that they should always pray and not lose heart. So we need to be people who pray pursuing God's promises. Third and last. As we grow in our prayer, we must plan to respond to God's grace. It's interesting the way this chapter ends, because it ends this way. And he said, this is Elijah to his servant, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while the heavens grew black with the clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now that is, quite frankly, an odd passage. And how does that passage teach us something about pursuing God's grace through prayer? 
But what we begin to see is not only was God demonstrating himself to be faithful to his word, to be the one who was in control, but also to be the God who was truly the God of the storms and the rain instead of a false prophet Baal. Now we see a response to what was happening. Keep in mind what Ahab had experienced. Keep in mind who Ahab was. Someone who had done more evil on the side of the Lord than any of the kings who came before him. A man who had called people to come away from the one true living God and to worship the false God of Baal. And he had just witnessed the defeat of his false prophets. And the consummation of the sacrifice, the consuming of the sacrifice that Elijah had offered. And now he's seeing God command the storms and the rain according to what had been told him three years prior. We learn that we must respond to God's grace. When you look at the rain, not only was it a declaration of God's greatness as the one true living God, but it was also a declaration of his grace. The God who took away the rain to bring about judgment is the same God who brought about the rain so that the people would have water, so that the land could receive its drink, so that the people could survive. What will Ahab do? We don't know much from this text. We're told there's a warning, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. The rain is almost coming and what does Ahab do? He rode and he went to see his evil, evil wife. Was he running to her to tell her, hey, I just need to let you know this false God thing isn't working out. Let me just tell you what I saw. And oh, by the way, remember how I told you this crazy man, Elijah, said that God would withhold the rain? Well, you know it hasn't rained for all these years, three years, and guess what I saw? The rain is coming. Is he going to produce a testimony? And is he going to to repent? And is he going to tell his wife, we need to stop sinning and we need to believe in the one true living God? And I know I've been wrong. That's not what we see. That's not what we see. Is Elijah, in verse 46, getting ready to go do the same thing? Hey, Jezreel, you've been wrong. Let me just tell you what happened to your false prophets. Let me tell you about your false God. Let me tell you about the God who does control the rain and the storms. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how he is in control. And you need to repent. And you need to believe in the one true living God. We don't know if that's what Elijah is going to do. We hope it is. It's a bit mysterious. But what we do know from the text and from this true history story is that God was demonstrating himself not only to be powerful, not only to be faithful, but also to be a God of grace. Gracious towards Elijah. Gracious that Ahab is still alive. Gracious that Jezreel still has a chance to repent. God is a God of grace. 
And the question becomes, when we become people of prayer, and we pray according to the word of God, we pray according to the promises of God, and we pray recognizing the grace of God, how do we respond? How do we respond? If you're married, you remember the beautiful, joyous day when you proposed. And I remember that day with Laura. She kind of knew it was coming, but not the exact date, so to say. But she really would have been missing something (laughs) if she didn't have a clue. Well, how did she have a clue? Well, we had grown spiritually closer. Our friendship had deepened. And we even did that awkward kind of like, hey, let's go look at a ring type of thing, right? And so she had a pretty good idea that I was either going to be her husband or a complete jerk. Thankfully, she thought the former. And so the day came and I showed up wearing nicer clothes than I usually wore for a day at the Ohio State University. Her roommate answers the door and says, wow, you look good. Kind of loud so she would hear upstairs. She knew we were going to go on a day date. And what was she doing as we were growing spiritually closer and we'd done things like look at rings? She was preparing for her response to The question. You see, this is how God is, I think, although much more eternally significant. He grows spiritually closer with us. He has written us beautiful letters. He has invited us to read them. He has ultimately sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The question becomes, who are we going to become in light of God doing everything that he has promised? And do we believe that not only has God done everything he has promised, but do we believe he will do everything that he has promised? And how will we respond? We're going to find out as we continue next week. Big secret. You can read ahead to find out. But for now, we come to the point where we are left with this text and we are challenged to become a people of prayer. We're challenged to read God's word, to grasp hold of his promises, to believe in faith, to act in faith, to pray in faith, And to bask in his grace by faith. Those of you who are in Christ, may this be an encouragement to you to spur you on towards greater sanctification and holiness. And for those of you who are here today who do not know Jesus, may this be a call to grasp hold of his promise. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's our invitation today. As we begin to close, I want you to contemplate those things. And if you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, we will be more than happy to talk to you afterwards. And my 
my prayers that you do not leave without that conversation. And for those of you who are Christians, my prayers that you, like me, will continue to grow in our prayer life. And we will pray with hope, with expectancy, but also knowing that we pray to the one true living God who is a God of promises, past, present, and future. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.